Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Sid Knight. I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we're talking about how much insurance is too much insurance. Now, this actually comes from a listener of the show. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, insurance, how boring, <laughs> listen to the show. This is a really good one about insurance because there is a listener, Bob and Judy, who's messaged in and they're saying, Surely there is a better use for our money than paying all of these monthly premiums. So we're going to start by digging into their situation because these guys are sophisticated consumers of insurance. And I say that with a lot of love and respect. So I want to go through what their thinking is, share that with you guys. Then we're going to answer their question. Do they have too much insurance? Now, when I say that, of course, it's with the usual disclaimers, not personalised advice, we're just giving you some thoughts to deal with. So, Andrew, give us this situation because these are actually some investors that you have personally worked with. I know these investors quite well, and, and they're probably more on the conservative side of investors. So I would generally think that people with a more conservative approach to investing tend to have more insurance by default because they want to ensure that they're not going to go backwards in the event of something, life putting a spanner in the work. And we started delving back into some of the older podcasts and came across episode 740, where we spoke about dealing with death and how to get your financial affairs in order. And one of the questions that came out of that is, how much life insurance should someone have against investment property mortgages slash savings revolving credit facilities to assist in the event that one spouse passes away and then you can't make the contribution and in this case with Bob and Judy they've made the comment my husband and I have very different views on this so let's go through what those different views are it's a he versus she so <laughs> I, I automatically know who's going to be right here <laughs> so he thinks and this is a quote from Judy, Judy, I hope you don't mind me reading this. He is ultra conservative. It's probably said with love. It wouldn't have been a, he is ultra conservative. He's ultra conservative. (laughs) He thinks... He thinks that our full insurance should cover all of our debt. So they've got about $1.6 million worth of debt. And they're saying, look, let's have almost $1.6 million worth of insurance so that if one of us dies, all of the mortgages can be paid off. Now, what's the benefit of this? Well, good news if one of your spouse dies, because then you're going to be there with almost no debt. But what's the con of that? Well, first of all, obviously you don't have your partner. But second of all, during the meantime, you're paying potentially quite high premiums. Actually, let's just go into it. So I can see that on one partner, they've got about $1.55 million worth of life insurance. They're paying about $379 a month for that. For the other partner, they've got about $1.3 million worth of insurance and they're paying about $370 for that. Oh, they're actually paying almost the same amount for you know slightly different levels of insurance. So that's to give you a sense of it. And just so you know as well, they're currently spending about 2.1K per month, so about $500 a week on their insurance premiums. Grand a year is a lot of money. Is that, is that, I mean, you deal with, you know, used to be a mortgage insurance broker. Is that quite high for what you see out of the market? Well, when you say high, I mean, the answer, the short answer is no, because it's always priced on what you're taking out. It's a lot as a percentage of their income that they're spending, in my mind. And we'll come down to kind of my personal thoughts on this later. So we know what he thinks. What does she think, Andrew? She thinks, I believe that this is way over the top and that the premiums are way too high to maintain this. And if one of us dies and the other, the surviving spouse, can no longer afford the top-ups to the properties, well, just sell one of the properties, pay the Brightline tax and reduce the debt on the others. 
Now, let's talk about that. Whilst I am actually probably more on the side of Judy in this, I think that, yes, it's over the top or it's more than perhaps I would feel comfortable contributing. And look, this is such a personal decision. Like, really, at the end of the day, there's no right or wrong answer, which was what makes this hard. You've got to actually sit down and say, well, what am I prepared to be able to pay to sleep at night and not worry about this? I do think that this is probably more than, if I was the insurance advisor, and I'm not, by the way, but if I was, I'd probably say, that this is probably more than is necessary. But I don't know if I like the idea of selling one of the properties to pay down the others. And the reason for that is these guys have sat down and worked out what their financial goal is. Now, if one person passes away, their financial goal probably hasn't changed. So take my mum, for instance, right? My mum and dad were working towards a financial goal in some way, shape or form, and dad passes away, all of a sudden, mum's not going to say, well, I want to work till 70 now, and I don't want to have a lifestyle in retirement that I'm used to. She wants to still have that lifestyle, but now all of a sudden, they've got one less income to be able to get there. So I don't know that selling down assets is necessarily the best thing to do, particularly because what happens if the market is just terrible and you can't sell the property or you've only owned it for a couple of years and so you don't get the full benefit of owning the properties for the long term. Or have to pay the bright line tax oh, in this that's case. terrible. Bright line tax. Oh, I don't want to pay that. So there's also some other reasons to keep the insurance and other reasons not to keep the insurance. Reasons to keep the insurance. This is a really interesting one. Judy sadly had a history of breast cancer back in 2010. So has got a million dollars worth of cover, a life insurance, by giving that up and trying to get that policy later on, you probably have what's called an exclusion. So that means that the insurance might be in place and it might have a premium loading, so it might be more expensive, but it would exclude something like breast cancer. So if she unfortunately passed due to that, then their life insurance wouldn't pay out if she gave it up and then tried to get it later on. Correct. It's about the 1.3 mil for that. Now, do you think, how big of a draw card is that for you? Because you know more about insurance than I do. Uh, I, I would never give up something that I might want in the future with that exclusion. But I do think there's still too much cover. But I'll come back to my thoughts on that later. Okay. There are some reasons not to keep the insurance. So they've said that they're fortunate to have around 350k, which is currently in an offset facility in a bank loan. So it's in a revolving credit, and that is meaning that it's reducing the amount of insurance they pay. So they've got a lot of free cash. I think that's just amazing. Now, for me, in the worst case scenario, one spouse dies and they needed to top up their investment properties, hey, they've still got a significant amount of free cash flow, which they would then be able to use to cover any cash flow top ups if interest rates did rise and those properties were negatively get. Now, of course, that's going to come with some interest costs as you're drawing that down, but I think it's a manageable scenario. But Andrew, again, you've got more experience with me. You know, how do you tell? If you do have too much insurance. Well, I think one of the key tests for me is you need to look at your insurance as... So actually, I'll go back and tell you a story about a guy called Chris Ainsley, who's a... Uh, oh, great guy. Who's a... Uh, have you met him? Never. <laughs> who's an insurance broker in Christchurch. And Chris is a real hard case. I remember talking to him one time, and he said years and years ago, what he used to do is he used to cut out of these pieces of woods, these little triangles, Right. Then he'd put a label on the back of it, on the square part, and he got a electoral roll, 
and he'd say, oh, I make lots of money from engineers, for example. I have to be nice to engineers after I made fun of them the other day. And he'd look them up on the electoral roll and he'd say, okay, Edward McKnight. So he'd put Edward McKnight, put your address down, and he'd send it to you. Just this cube of what? Anyway, Ed gets it and he thinks, what the hell is this? And so he'd put it on his desk and think, what the hell is this about? Then when he'd get a quiet patch, he'd ring up Edward McKnight. Ring, 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 ring. Hello, <laughs> it's me, Edward McKnight. Oh, hi there, Ed. It's Chris Ainsley here. How are you? Oh, Chris, you hard case. No, you don't know that it's come from Chris. Oh, hello, Chris. Hello. <laughs> now, look, what can you I don't do know, for you? You don't know me, Ed, but do you get my little triangle of wood? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to know what that's about? If you let me buy your coffee, I'll tell you. And of course, you'd think, oh, I want to know what it's about. So you go off to have coffee. So he's tricked you. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going on a long-winded story, I've realised. Anyway, then he'd get you and he'd draw a hill and a circle on it and you pushing that circle up. And that's you getting your lifestyle to where you want it to be. And say, so sometime in your life, Edward McKnight, you might get taken out of that equation. My job is to be the wedge that goes in here that stops that ball from rolling backwards. And I thought there's a great analogy, even albeit long-winded, of what insurance should be. It should be there to stop you going backwards. It's not there as a lotto ticket. It's not there so that, you know, if something happens to Bob and Judy's left there, Judy's just rolling in money. It's not there for that. It's just there to stop them going backwards. So it's not a rocket to take you to the top of the hill. No. And so is what you're saying in this, if I'm trying to decode the <laughs> the mind that is Andrew Nickel, you're saying, hey, look, there's a lot of insurance here. And the way that they're looking at it is that if one of them unfortunately does pass, they're actually going to be in a significantly, significantly better position yep. because all of that debt will be paid off. So I'll tell you what I would do in this situation. And again, I'm not a life insurance financial advisor at all. But if I just take a real pragmatic view to this, I would say, right, what's our top up of our rental properties as if the interest rates were 6%, say, and on principal and interest. And let's say it worked out to be 300 bucks a week. That's $15,000 a year. I'd say, okay, well, we've got 10 more years before we want to pay off these rental properties. So I want 15 grand a year for 10 years, 150 grand. I want that in the bank. Plus I want some cover for funeral costs and I want a year's worth of salary so that I know that I can just take a year off and grieve my spouse and not have to worry about any of that stuff. That's what I would look for personally. So that might be, and we're just, I'm just speaking of numbers here. It could be 300 grand. Well, based on the numbers you just gave, it's probably closer to 500 grand. But it could be maybe a third of what they've got in this situation if all of those numbers work down. And of course, that's what you'd have to do. And again, you can choose whatever you want. That's the beauty of insurance. And you're going to pay for whatever you take. But the reality is having enough to make sure you don't go backwards is the key thing in my mind. And I think we've also got to answer Judy's question around, well, what's the alternative? Because she said, surely there's something better we could be doing with these premiums. So I think what you've got to do is, well, weigh up your options. Well, option one is to buy a lot of insurance. That's what you're currently doing. But I also want to think about the base case. So in the situation that one of them unfortunately passes, for me, that's your worst case scenario. That's the one you buy insurance to protect yourself. But you've also got to think about, well, what path are you on if one of you doesn't die? Because that's your base case. That's the more likely situation. Am I right in saying that? Because statistically, you're likely to continue living. Of course, you need to plan for the, the worst case. That's what you're already doing. So I think for me, the alternative is, well, rather than putting that money that you're already putting into insurance so that the mortgages can be paid off in the worst case scenario, if the worst case happens, well, what if you put some of that money into the mortgages so that 
those mortgages are paid off whether the worst case happens or not. Or even a savings account. Take $500 a month from this and put that towards your contributions if you lose one partner. And in that case, you're kind of decreasing risk in you're, either scenario, yeah, yeah, but correct. to different degrees, of course, correct. of course, to different degrees. I suppose the benefit of insurance is you never know when that worst case scenario is going to happen. Is it going to happen tomorrow? Is it going to happen in 10 or, years' or time? Or if it's going to happen. I mean, this is the other thing. So the last thing you'd want, if, if your risk profile, Judy, in this case, doesn't mean that you'd actually feel good about having less insurance, and then you go reduce it because you're listening to the podcast, and then something happened, we'd feel terrible. So you have to make this decision for yourself. And look, ultimately, it comes down to risk profiles in terms of how much insurance should you have. Now, for me, I'm pretty risk-seeking, so I do not buy a significant amount of insurance. I'm young, I'm stupid, (laughs) and I'm willing to take risks. And so I'm not so fussed about it. And do you know what I often think, Andrew? Look, do you know what? If I die... Andrew Nichol will deal with it. (laughs) Well, no, I often think, I know this is terrible. Can I say it? Okay, fine. Who's it affect? Yeah, that's well, that's the thing. I've got no kids. Yeah, sure, I've got a partner, but she's young enough that she can sell up the properties. <laughs> you know, she'll just sell up the properties, <laughs> right. do quite well out of it. You know, you're welcome, Kelly. You know, it'll be, a, I mean, that's the lotto ticket for her. <laughs> Sometimes tell her, you know, Kelly, I'm worth more dead to you than alive. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You probably say the same to Lauren. Yeah. So for me, my risk profile is such that if the worst case happened, I'm okay. Now, if I had... My risk profile is selfish. If is that I, what you mean? No. <laughs> no, I'm just no, no. I'm just But kidding. if I had three kids who were all under five... Yeah. Oh, I'd be buying some insurance. Yeah. And also the other part to this, um, I, I think we covered this before, I know that they have no personal mortgage. I think that's one thing that you always need to have covered because, again, the last thing one spouse or the remaining spouse needs to be worrying about at the time of someone passing away is that next mortgage payment. So if there was a massive mortgage, Judy unfortunately pops off, then Bob might be worried about that next mortgage payment. So you're covering yourself in that situation. How much insurance do you have, Andrew? I like, have, don't take, give us the details, no, but I, give us the details. I, I, have, I actually have have most of my insurance under the company because in the event of me dying it affects the company a lot more than it affects me personally because again there's assets that can be sold and things like that I got some life insurance personally I don't have a lot of income protection the reason for that in the event of uh, again from my personal income we're set up that there's there's money that would still be paid to me but from the business that has a much more severe effect and so we have more from that company side of thing than we do personally. I suppose the other thing is who's going to make you redundant when you're, no, exactly. <laughs> you know, you're not going to make yourself redundant. No. I mean, the, the only thing now, it just worries me. Ed gets, Ed gets close and pushes me over the edge of the building and all of a sudden he can just take over the business. Well, you know, would that be such a bad <laughs> thing for... Not on Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bob and Judy, hopefully we answered your question. How much insurance is too much? Can you have too much insurance? Look, in some cases, for some people you can... But it all comes down to your risk profile. So hopefully this has given you guys some ideas. You guys have a conversation about what's right for you guys. And just on that topic, which is completely coincidental, we've actually just brought on a couple of insurance advisors within Catalyst Financial to help people with this. Because, again, it's one of those things I see in the industry where I'm never that happy with advice that someone else has given because I think I can do it better. So we employ people so that we can keep in control of that. So if you do want a review, we'll, we'll be offering that very soon. Just keep abreast of those details on catalystfinancial.co.nz. No, I think we'll get, should we get, we'll, we'll get John on the podcast actually to talk about it. Yeah, great. Perfect. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. Thanks for listening.
listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Emma Knight. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.